Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm pretty good, man. It's a little, uh, it's hot today. You know what I'm saying? It is a hot one. My my dogs are in this apartment on the second floor, just just breathing so heavy. They're both furry ones, so it's they're not having it with this heat. No, it is it is warm out there today, and I'm sweating. I'm inside. The air conditioning is in theory on, and I'm in the basement, and I'm still sweating. I uh, also have air conditioning that is in theory on, but uh, I got to talk to my landlord about why it's just blowing out. Nothing. Room temperature air. Mm. It's supposed to cool. It's supposed to cool. But hey, we got a lot on the agenda this week, my friend. We are opening up the book on Metropole, the sixth Lawrence Arms album. And Brendan, we got a new edition of Bad Sandwich Beyond the Thunderdome coming up this week over at badsandwich.substack.com. Yes. What what, What do people have to look forward to? This week, you know, the funny thing is that by the time this is written, by the time this comes out, the one I'm writing right now will be uh, uh, out there already, and I'll be writing another one. Um, We have so I don't know, Um, you know, that one that you just read—that's the one that I'm just writing. Uh, Yes, this is going so well. (laughs) Well, I mean, so uh, the most recent one that I read, we talked about Satan. You really made the case for him. I guess that's going to be, what, like four weeks old by the time the podcast comes out? Is that how it works? (laughs) I I can't, can't, you know, time's not my forte. But uh, I I will say that, um, it. yes, that was the last one. That was like uh, at the end of the week. And so uh, now this Monday being a day off... You know, not to be like an old ass man, but it really fucked up my whole thing. All of a sudden, I was like, "Wait, it's Monday! Oh, <laughs> I'm missing a day here." So, well, yeah. I I look forward to whatever it is we get over at badsandwich.substack.com. As a subscriber myself, I uh, yeah pay for that. Pay for it out of the uh, Road to the Skeleton Coast podcast fun but that's uh, something you and i can talk about another time you have a brand new lawrence arms merch store that's correct the lawrence arms merch now.com i'm eyeing that trucker hat my friend not a lot of people know i'm losing my hair so hats are a big important thing in my life yeah yeah good a good hat will will do you well no matter how much hair you have or don't have a good hat can always come in handy, you know, whether it's to, you know, shield your eyes from the sun or cover your dick if it accidentally pops out of your pants and <laughs> you can't get your pants back together fast enough. Uh, what what can't the hat do? Wipe your ass with it and, and you know, if you need to. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's all sorts of cool stuff over there. Um, I think the, the, we were selling these, like, big Chicago flags, but with our little flappy logo on mm-hmm. them. But those are all sold out. Those are gone. So... That was a limited edition item, but... They went quick because that's what the people have been waiting for, let's be honest. That's right. People, everybody, everybody wants to, to fly our banner, um, <laughs> coast to coast, man. That's, that's what's up. But, you know, I don't mean to bury the lead. Huge news! Probably the biggest Lawrence Arms news since Metropole, I'd say... Patreon.com slash better sandwich. Our Patreon, the Patreon of friendship went up last week. That's uh, right. 
We're so happy right. to, to see and hear from so many of you who signed up over on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really awesome. Um, yeah, I really can't thank you enough. This is a fun thing to do, and uh, if you guys like it enough to, you know, throw some money our way, that's uh, that's cool. That's cool. Much much appreciated, and uh, gives us a chance to do more of this stuff, which is which is cool too. So we've got another edition of liner notes over there on Patreon this week. Lovely story about the Metropole Hotel. That inspired the name of the record. Um, it's amazing to me that you named a record after the hotel that the gang stays at in season two of Jersey Shore. So we can really, really unpack that one yeah. over on Patreon. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about the conceptual influences of Metropole. Outcast Quemini, Richard Linklater. You can find that over there at patreon.com slash Sandwich. You can sign up now, and the first month is free. Oh, a lot to plug this week. So that's right. Glad that that's all over with the plugging. It, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, hey, Poochie, you look like you have something to say. <laughs> do you? I certainly do. Um, uh, that's a that's a Poochie quote. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I have to go away now. Uh, what is it? What, it's I keep I gotta make sure that this is all right because I would hate to fuck this up. But yeah, today is Tuesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Then this comes out on Thursday. So yesterday we announced our record. I guess is the way to put this um, in a in a, in a time traveling sort of sense. Um, yeah. So the new Lawrence Arms record has been announced. Uh, it is called Skeleton Coast. Believe it or not, this has oh. all been. <laughs> an um, amazing um, strategy in order to bolster excitement for the for the record, which is um, coming out on Epitaph on July seventeenth, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting. There's a we have a new single that I mean I got to imagine that if you fucking listen to this podcast, you've heard the single already. So you know, <laughs> there's there's that. But, well, uh, I mean, yeah, they have, but, I mean, what do you think? Maybe they might want to hear it again? Like, mm-hmm. maybe right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, hey, here it is. PTA, off of Skeleton Coast. Do my baby die. You know I die, but my child die. You know I die, and I know it. You watch it, I die. I'm alone, I'm a cub and a cub and a long born and a long ride Winter flights, winter drives, winter cloud on the wheels The newest of us be looking at you when we stop spinning the wheels Dust in and out of the grave in a glance This time we're alive as you see through your plans Better yet, so I like it I wanna be down there with you 
out alone when I need to dance. And we're back. Bubba. Yo. I mean, first of all, I gotta say, it was it was so nice of you to be so modest about naming the record Skeleton Coast, but I mean I I know that this is a little braggadocious on my part, but I think it's so cool that you named a Lawrence Arms record after our podcast. Yeah, no, it was it was a kind, kind thing to do. Um really that's <laughs> what I I yeah, no, you, you, you put it that way. I, I'm the best. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, um, firstly, the record, Skeleton Coast, is up now for pre-order. Everyone listening can get themselves a copy by going to epitaph.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes to this very podcast. Uh, you can also find a link to the video for pta great first single and i mean you're here so what's the song all about well so you know pta is uh it's short for planes trains and automobiles obviously mm-hmm. and it's just about like the sort of the way have you if you've seen the movie planes trains and automobiles it's a great movie um about like sort of it's a thanksgiving movie of which there's not that many which is mm-hmm. interesting um and it's uh it's it's john candy r.i.p and um steve martin trying to get home for thanksgiving right and there's a lot about there's a lot of love in the movie a lot of loss a lot of like getting tired of the people that you're with recognizing like Maybe sometimes you're like better off alone, and sometimes the you can just be with the people that you end up with. You might not think are the right people, but they they certainly are. You know, it's a, so like this this song without getting like too deep into it. It's sort of about love and finding love where you find it, and losing love where it drops off, and um, you know, in like the t- case of like uh, friendships or family or you know romantic love anything like that um mm-hmm. so yeah it's uh it's got a it's got a little bit of a of a you know love nuance to it i guess <laughs> Sorry, Dude, i said the I word love that, like 10 times <laughs> i feel that like so hard that's a great sentiment to have for a track and do you fiddle you fit it all into freaking minute and 30 seconds jeez you wasted no time on this one yeah there's a lot of really uh quick songs on this record um the i think that for m- the songs i wrote on the record which there's 14 songs altogether, and uh, i wrote seven of them um i don't think I, I have only i have only one that's over two minutes long i think what do you think influenced that to write shorter songs um you know, I think I think the, the the main thing I can say is that like I'm just so much more into economy than I used to be. Like I don't need a fucking intro. It's like mm-hmm. get get me in there, you know? Like what what's the what's the part of this song I want to hear, you know? Right. Boom, start it and then when you're done, you get out. You know what I mean? Like and which is not to say that uh I mean, these are not like all very typically structured songs either um so it's not like i'm like working with a formula it's not like you know like 
when you hear uh, What's My Age Again, right? Like, I remember hearing that song and being like, mm-hmm. holy shit, the whole song is the chorus. They start the verse, then there's like four seconds of verse, and then mm-hmm. it goes to chorus, and then there's a chorus, and then there's like an outro of the chorus, and that's a chorus, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, um, and I mean, it sounds fucking great, too. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm oh, not trying to yeah. mm-hmm. sit here and disblink 182, especially not. Currently, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. no, 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 no like your friends in the band, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, but uh, no, I, I just meant, especially not that song because that's one of, uh, like, one of the ones I really love by them. Um, uh-huh. But I think a lot of times when you hear like, just get in, get out, give the people what they want, you kind of start thinking like, oh, it's like that kind of like pandering, uh, verse, mm-hmm. chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, out, you know. And uh, there's some very bizarre song structures on this. It's not to say. I I think what people well I don't care what people want this is what I wanted to do <laughs> you know this is what I want to hear so uh, and, and I think that usually ends up being the best way to create art you know what I mean absolutely um, like second I'm pandering to somebody I'm I'm fucking up everything uh huh I think it's cool too that this record is a lot of short songs from you but also a lot of short songs from chris it's not like that greatest story dynamic where his songs are two three times longer than yours no i mean he does have some longer songs in there for sure um like the longest songs on the record are his but yeah it's overall it's i mean it just sounds like our band a lot like i Mm -hmm. feel like um i feel like it sounds very much like it could have existed at the same time as like Oh, Calcutta and Greatest Story as like, you know, if, if this record had come out around those records, I don't think anyone would bat an eye at the sound of it. Like, definitely. It has, it has a lot of, a lot in common with those, with those records, which is more than Metropole does. Um, and, uh-huh. you know, although I listened back to that today and I was like surprised at how much how cohesive I thought that that record was too. So I've been really enjoying this past week, listening to both of these records at the same time, because it feels, it feels a little bit like this one answers to Metropole in that Metropole is a very large record. It sounds big. The, the, the choruses are so emotional and this one, it doesn't lose any of that emotion, but it is very like to the point as you're saying Mm -hmm. yeah it's like uh yeah i guess i guess that's a good way to put it like skeleton coast is like uh a street fight uh, whereas like metropole is more of like a it's like sort of like kung fu sequence you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) like uh like metropole is like ali and and uh foreman in the jungle just 14 rounds and then just jokes (laughs) Uh (laughs) all the jokes at george foreman's expense that's we've marbled into every every track on metropole has a hidden joke about george foreman being uh too fat to win the rumble in the jungle (laughs) i mean um it's it's crazy that you answered that because that was a question that I had for later when we talked about Metropole, but like, let's, let's <laughs> keep it on Skeleton Coast for a little bit. Um, 
you know, you and I talked a little bit about where it was recorded, but let's jump in a little. You made this record with Matt Allison, but it's the first time you recorded with Matt outside of Atlas and also outside of the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. Where did you go for this exactly? Yeah, um, so to be clear, we are talking about Skeleton Coast, the new record out July 17th on Mm -hmm. Epitaph by the Lawrence Arms, and... um, I, we did record that in um, with Matt Allison, but not in Chicago, as Tim said. We just, in fact, we went down to um, a place about 40 miles outside of El Paso in Texas called the Sonic Ranch. And it's um, it's a 3,000-acre pecan farm with uh, seven different music studios <laughs> located amongst the pecans. Uh, it's one of the coolest, weirdest things if at the end of my life i'm like recounting all the the wild things that i've that have happened to me Mm -hmm. and living on that fucking pecan ranch isn't one of the things i say you will know that either like the worms have eaten my brain or i've done so many things that are so fascinating (laughs) since then (laughs) (laughs) that i couldn't even fit living on the pecan ranch recording an album on there uh, it really is a pretty awesome spot, and like, uh, we were lucky enough to get down there when there was not a lot of people there. We mm-hmm. kind of got in there, got in and out. Like, I think it was even before there was like even real serious talk about COVID or anything like that. Like, it, like, you yeah, know, definitely, things turned around very quickly once we left, but like. I don't remember being down there and being like, oh, you think that virus is doing shit to people? You know, like, and so mm-hmm. it was like sort of like the last unencumbered free thing that I remember doing. So, yeah, um, certainly. But it was, it was really, it was really great. Every, uh, every morning we'd wake up at like eight o'clock. Matt was st- staying in a different house. We'd walk up. So we stayed in this one little house, like 500 feet away is the studio that we're recording in. And then, uh, Matt was sleeping in the like the coach house of the studio, and so we'd walk over, drive about a mile through the pecans where the ladies would make us breakfast burritos, and then oh we'd eat God. those, come back, and we'd work till like three thirty, uh-huh. and then the the, uh, the studio assistants would bring lunch over, and uh, we'd have a lunch break from like you know four to five. And then we'd work again in the night until sometimes till midnight, sometimes till like six thirty, depending on like how how much stuff mm-hmm. we you know where we got to a good stopping point or whatever. And then we'd usually go back to the main hacienda or whatever and have dinner with the owner. Um, it was it was like being at album camp, you know. I mean, yeah. there's nothing nothing going on there at all. I mean, besides like music to be made and like. If you wanted something like a a Coke, mm-hmm. it's twenty minute drive to the dollar store, and yeah. that, you, you know what I mean. And that's like your fucking selection is and like it's wow. like an an hour into El Paso. We did a few runs into there. I actually never went. Neil went once, and Chris went once. Uh huh. But living on the ranch, it's just like like it gets dark out and the, you can't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. it's, there's no city around. There's no lights, um, and 
it was really like desolate and really beautiful and I don't know it had a it's funny because the idea of like kind of calling this record Skeleton Coast wasn't really born down there mm-hmm. I don't think I think like I think that it's just like seems like a cool evocative name we've been talking about it for way longer than since we've been back you know but then all of a sudden we're recording in the desert and it's like this like it's got a very similar kind of vibe to it even though I'm like hyper conscious of the fact that hyper conscious that makes it sound a little more important than it is I'm aware that a desert and a coast are not the same thing uh, you mm-hmm. know but but there's still like you know dusty places with bones and shit right uh, and yeah and we were also on the on the Mexican border so in that regard it's kind of like a coast um, because uh, there's a border there um, uh-huh. you can see you can see the patrols like walking wow and like the actual house we stayed in the, the door to everybody's room like there's a, like a door that would le- go to an outside to out every room had an external door if that uh-huh. makes sense sure sure you know like kind of like a motel or whatever uh-huh. but or I mean camp. it was a house uh-huh. yeah yeah, but it was a house. And so, like, the door to my room and to everyone's room was, like, a bar, like, bars. Um, wow. Because it used to be a border holding cell back in the day when wow. the border was two miles further north. Mm-hmm. So, pretty cool. Um, yeah. But, you know, just overall a totally weird thing. And then, like, so to have this record called Skeleton Co. is for us to have been doing it down in fucking in the middle of the desert and then to come back to this like fucking pandemic which this record was not a written like with, uh, at a time when the pandemic even existed and it's wild to me how much it sounds like a fucking plague plague times record yeah I think that the um, the pandemic kind of just took all of the sentiments of of things are kind of getting ready to become strange and then now things are strange and the the way that you talk about uh just life as it is and life life as it has been for the past few years the pandemic is a marking point but we've all been building to this i think yeah i think i think that's i think that's probably very very um astute tim that's uh yeah it's uh it's thank you brendan it's it's true like if it if it wasn't the pandemic it would be something else because it's like something has to break right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um and that's i mean that sounds like some like dumb like well you know i'm really impulsive because i'm a scorpio you know like kind of bullshit like that (laughs) but at a certain point um it's like if you could if everybody can feel it and there's no doubt that everybody can feel it mm-hmm. you know something is going something's going to explode at some point and i mean that's the weird just history is, yeah yeah the weird thing is i don't even know that this pandemic is that <laughs> you know right. it's like we're here now and it's like okay well at least this is the worst that could happen. It's like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, you they're know, finding like, they're finding a way to just like get back to normal a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, right, you know, remember when Kobe died and we were like, 2020 sucks, and then everybody uh, had to live in their houses and lost their jobs. 
It's yeah. like, fuck. And then, and then poor you, you get stuck talking to me for four hours a week. Oh, oh no, I make, this is how I make my money. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I pay for badsandwich.substack.com. Um, I mean, that has to be such a cool experience just for the four of you. Four freaking peanuts at a pecan farm. You, Chris, this- Neil, Matt, just getting to do something that is... It's something that I've always been fascinated with, the the stories of the bands going to record things in very far-off places and letting the place influence the the feel of the record itself. Yeah, and you know what? It's uh, This place, beyond influencing the feel, it very much influenced the sound because not only is it just such a wonderful facility, but they have, like the nicest equipment and like it's it's they could turn that place into a fucking uh guitar um amp and studio recording equipment museum without doing anything to it it's like mm-hmm. it's so full of like beautiful old cabinets and amplifiers and guitars i mean you just have to like put in a request for what you want and then you, you show up and the studio assistants have like they're like here's all the stuff you asked for and it's like it's amazing oh fuck I, oh I forgot to put a bass amp down oh can I just use this fucking you know like 1963 Ampeg thing that's like uh-huh. designed for the studio that was like actually played on like all those old Motown albums like this oh. actual one yeah <laughs> yeah no go ahead you can just use that yeah, like oh. shit like that where it's like right it's like i mean they were building a, a new room while we were there and it was like going to be the big studio and it had this huge board and i mean like i don't i can't stress this enough and i've said it to you many a time i don't know anything about like mm-hmm. uh engineering equipment or whatever uh but um each console in, in the mixing board according to matt allison was like Thirty-five to sixty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars, and that's the, and you know there's like what like forty of those going across. Um, wow! So it, and it was like the board. I think like like a virgin was recorded on. Amazing. Yeah, it's really like. Mm-hmm. Like that I said, it could, so fascinating. It could just be a museum that down there, but instead you get to actually. It's like a like one of those. You know, like night in the museum where you get to play with all the things at the museum. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? uh-huh. uh, I'm not a dad. I haven't seen that movie, but yeah, I, I, I think I haven't I, seen that movie. Uh, what's that? I'm I'm a dad and I haven't seen that movie. Okay, that's fine. I just I just I'm guessing based on <laughs> the title. I'm trying to like uh-huh. piece together what it could possibly be about. What could? <laughs> Night at the museum really be about? <laughs> I mean, it could be about like fucking a Cro Magnon or something like that. I guess technically. Yeah. Did you think about but, calling the record Night at the Museum? <laughs> Night at the Museum. 3? No, but we we were throwing around uh, fucking a Cro Magnon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not as the title, just doing it. Uh, no, um, Night at the Museum Three is actually a great name for an album. Uh, no. <laughs> Dude, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. What I'm you saying. You have like a fucking, like a, a like Los Crudos, like just like 
the hardcore band, like not like one of those like chugger hardcore bands, but like mm-hmm. Midwest, super fast, like mm-hmm. just angry hardcore. And you called the fucking album "Night at the Museum 3. pretty good. You know, We're the band. To be honest, the band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been saying uh, for a little bit of time now, and this is a this ties into Matt Allison because he produced this record. Uh, there was a band called Grown Ups from Northwest Indiana slash Chicago. They've broken up. I don't understand why they don't reunite and call it Grown Ups Two. Just saying, yeah. it'd be good. It's a very good idea. So this all ties very well to our discussion today of Metropole, a record that came out almost eight years after its predecessor, Old Calcutta, but Skeleton Coast were now six years after Metropole. How did things start to come together for Skeleton Coast? Um, I think that eventually... well, a few things happened. For one thing, we put out uh, the, the We Are the Champions of the World, mm-hmm. Greatest Hits album. And as I believe we've discussed on here, that made a huge difference in how... That really changed the game for us like almost as much as like O'Calcata did in terms of like people all of a sudden really paying attention to us and us like mm. going from being some like band that like maybe you've heard of like seen on flyers for years mm-hmm. to like it so um I'm, I'm gonna like digress a little bit but i think it's interesting when mike fat mike um called me and was like hey we want to do a greatest hits record i was like i don't think we're the kind of band that uh deserves a greatest hits record based on mm-hmm. the fact that we have no hits uh and <laughs> we're not all that popular and he's like well dude the way people consume music now um it's like spotify wouldn't you like to have all your good songs in one place so you know people are getting the good shit if they're checking you out for the first time and i was like that's a really good idea so we decided to do the record and the record ended up being insanely insanely um good for our band but not for that reason i think the reason is and once people saw that we had a greatest hits record, they were like, oh, that's that kind of band that has a greatest hits record? Like, mm-hmm. I've seen that name around for a long time. They're putting out a greatest hits record on Fat Records. I will check that out. And then, you know, obviously, the, the what Mike said was true. They went to Spotify and they got to see here, make sure they heard the good stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what it... I did not ever anticipate that putting out that record would do jack shit for us. But it really, like filled out our rooms quite a bit. I mean, Metropole, when it came out, uh, helped us quite a bit. You know, like, it, you know, the, the snowball gets bigger as it goes down the hill or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, after Oak Calcutta, Metropole was able to come in and, like, elevate us still further. But then, who knew the fucking Greatest Hits album would all of a sudden be like, boom. And that was really, like, what we needed in order to, like, make sure that the rooms the size we wanted to play were always sold out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, we were like, this is... This is what we've been sort of working towards, you know? Yeah. And, and then um, we went on tour for the year with uh, Red City Radio, and great band. Love mm-hmm. the dudes. Love the, the songs. Um, awesome. And... Uh, um, 
at a certain point we were like hey this is all going really well <laughs> I really <laughs> like doing this and like we and like also we just like as a as a band we're like playing really well getting along really well you know mm-hmm. everything's cool I think everybody's now like finally old enough that it's just like oh you don't like this yeah, I wouldn't do it if I was you either. No, don't don't do it. That's fine. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't I don't care at all. Uh, you know, so like, something has to be done here. Yeah, right. And so I think that like, just like sort of that like freedom to uh, walk down and fuck them all instead of uh, to uh-huh. use the the joke from Colors again uh, reference. Um, I would I will tell that joke in the liner notes if. Uh, if we remember, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, made it so it was just like, man, let's make some new songs. And then, uh, so I decided I was going to write a song. Um, I think this song PTA is the first song I wrote for the record. That's um, awesome. And I was finishing it up. I was about to send it to Chris and Neil, and boom, McCoggan sends a song. He got he got in under the gun, man. He said he said the first song, um, uh-huh. his first song in, and then um, you know from there it was just the same process that we've always had. We just go uh-huh. back and forth and back and forth. The one thing is that with all the songs being kind of short and punchy, we didn't have to edit really. And I mean, so it's fourteen songs the album, but only twelve of them are. We, we were thinking 12 mm-hmm. uh, But when we found out that 14 was 32 minutes We were like, yeah, fuck it You know, I don't really want to cut any of these songs Because right. I, th- I think that we all were like Due to, due to being in this, that studio and everything It's just like Kind of like fell in love with our babies or whatever So mm-hmm. And it's just like, fuck it Who, you know, we don't need to So Right, <laughs> yeah uh, So, but Um I don't so, yeah, think that there's any dead weight on there, which is really cool. 14 songs, and they they are all very, very solid. Yeah, cool. I, I think so, too. I mean, there's times when I'm listening to it, and I'm like, uh... You know, but that's like... That's like the same way you look at, like, your fucking spouse or your dog or something, and one day you're like, you know what I'd change about you? And then, like, by the next day, you don't care anymore, you know, or you've yeah. got something new, you know, uh-huh. you moved on to something else, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just like, yeah, it's fucking hindsight. I, I, I think it's good, but I guess the point is, this is just another really natural, organic return to doing what we do mm-hmm. um, after after a certain amount of time. The with the greatest hits record being in there, it seems like less time had passed. Yeah. Um, and also just I guess you know people say like people talk about how like nobody can like if you live forever you'll go insane because soon like the passing of years will be like seconds because just in terms of your um what like relative time on earth Mm -hmm. you know like when you're Mm -hmm. in first grade summer vacation is like what like a sixth of your life or something like that and like by now summer's you know, it's like, holy fuck, it's 2020? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, right. 
And then you you look at the other side, and it's it's quarantine, which we've been in for uh, about fourteen years at this point. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. That E equals but, MC squared shit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that well, you know that I, um, it didn't seem as long to me between Metropole and this record, mm-hmm. even though I know. I mean, and it wasn't. I guess it's two years difference, but. Uh, I don't know. It's it's crazy for me to think about like if I had, like when I first started listening to punk rock when I was like middle school and high school. It's like I could have been fucking twelve when Metropole came out and out of high school by the time Skeleton Coast comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's crazy. Right, right. Um, it's uh, so. it's 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 cool to consider how something like a greatest hits record can. Um, I think for people who've been following along for a long time, maybe it's something you take for granted. Uh, you obviously went in not knowing that it would have the kind of effects that it did, but those are unbelievably significant effects for just the relationship that you all have to the project. And to hear that something like that could propel you to want to create more, that's that's fucking awesome. And I think that we've talked a lot about like how you gotta you got to sort of drive your own creativity so it's good when you get something that sort of comes from the outside to jumpstart everything yeah totally i mean like the i don't think that the um what the what i'm tr- was trying to say was definitely not like it was still very self-motivated you know what i sure, mean sure um, sure sure like like uh i i don't want you to think that like, I know you don't think this, Tim, but I don't want to have it be misinterpreted that I'm like, oh, well, you know, our band got more popular, so now it's time to go back to the kitchen and, you know, fry up some more tunes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more like, um, wow, <laughs> you know, we're old, and if our band had gotten more popular, like, uh, like what, there stops being a point. Right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh huh. Um, you're you're like, still hungry, and that's that's yeah. real. And that's that's the thing. It's like you know you gotta you gotta fucking you gotta stay hungry out there, and uh, and I, that's the proof's in the fucking record. I think that it's not like a like any sort of like jack off late career misstep or whatever. It's like it's it's a I think it's a very valid addition to our catalog and. I think if it, if, if it had come out like 10 years ago, it would be something that people we talk about as one of our best records. I, I know just based on the way that like bands work and how people listen to things that it's like they can't possibly have the same weight as like an Ocal Cutter or Greatest Story in, in people's heads. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it stands up with those records in terms of quality. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, when I, I will say this. When I played the first mix for Tim uh, he actually looked at me and this is no joke this is true he goes holy shit this is actually really good <laughs> um, yeah yeah and but, I, it's, but I'm, I, I'm not even busting your balls mm-hmm. my point is more that like I'm as surprised as anybody yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean Definitely. it's like guys our age aren't supposed to put out like some of your our best music like Everybody, you know, wants to fucking... Everybody's supposed to want to hear the old stuff. But this is actually a great segue into Metropole. Because mm-hmm. when we came back and put out Metropole, I think everybody was like, 
uh, get good luck with everything. Uh-huh. Old man legacy band, and uh, uh-huh. it ended up having some of our like most popular songs on it. You know, so we're kind of Benjamin buttoning our way through being a band, I guess, uh, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but totally, I have friends who have been with it since the beginning and metropole is their favorite record which is to me such a testament of being able to really mess with uh the legacies that people have implanted on on records that and bands that they really adore when you can make something that is good enough to uh disrupt someone's Mm -hmm. opinion and their like long-standing feeling about a band that is a really powerful thing so as all of you have noticed as we're 40 minutes into this episode already we haven't even gotten to metropole and i'm sure you've noticed the title of this episode is metropole part one so what we're gonna do this week is we've split metropole into two parts it gave us a chance to learn about pta and about Skeleton Coast, a new record that we're all super stoked about. And it also gives us a chance to take a little bit more time with actually diving in to Metropole. So this week from here on out, we're going to be going into the time leading up to Metropole's release. And we're going to save the track by track for next week. So we don't have to continue to beat ourselves up with these three-hour marathons. We're trying something new here just with the goal of making things better, uh, giving us time to talk and also time to, uh, you know, not go crazy trying to make this podcast work. So with that, Brendan, let's lean into a little bit. Brendan, let's lean into the setup here let's put metropole into terms that are fresh for us as chicagoans in quarantine you know years go by after oh calcutta we have butt sweat and tears but history is kind of written in lps greatest story has become its own form of a classic oh calcutta becomes the defining piece of an era of punk it's what hits Bands like the Menzingers, the Sidekicks, and propels shit forward. I think the era of punknews.org being the main place for punk rock. Mm-hmm. O Calcutta is one of the two or three records that are there that like carry that ship. And, you know, I don't have to tell you this because you put those two bands records out yeah. <laughs> you've got fucking you've got someone like deanna bellows sincere engineer who's the fucking future and she's still hitting that era of lawrence arms material that makes her shit move mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i love to narrativize art right and i know that the narrative of the lawrence arms could be after O Calcutta, some time goes by, there is the possibility that the Lawrence Arms just end on the fucking highest note. O Calcutta is game six of the 1998 
NBA Finals. It's the fucking follow through. Yep, yep. If the Lawrence Arms were to end, and I think as years kind of went by after Old Calcutta, it was starting to look like maybe this is it. Maybe totally. they walk away. Was there ever that thought in your head that Lawrence Arms could be finished here? I think that what we've always said is that um, there's what's the fucking point of breaking up? Like, if I was going to ever get back together, if I was going to play music again, I'd want it to be with you guys. Like, uh, you, you know, that I think that all, mm-hmm. all three of us have said that. It's like, this is, you know, we shaped this into the kind of music that we like and we and we understand how to construct it now. You know, I think, and I mean, I don't know, not to sound like a fucking old like dad or like wise man or anything like that because lord knows i don't know shit but um i think that's what's missing from a lot of bands actually is the notion of like well what do i like can i do that you know like a lot of people are like mm-hmm. like put in a chug apart because like it's like well we're a hardcore band so we'll go or whatever but like without ever thinking like is this something i would want to listen to myself you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like it seems like such an obvious thing to say, such a obvious thing to point out, but I really think that so many bands go into, like, writing songs and being in bands to kind of see if they can get away with it. I don't know if that's, like, an accurate way to put it, but, like, uh-huh. like ah, will this work as a singing voice? Oh, no one's like hates it. Okay, that's my thing now. Uh huh. Without being like, what do I think sounds the most kick-ass? Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying like, you should really think about what you like, and then just do that and try to figure out how to make it like make the stuff that you would like to hear on the radio. If you have literally a hundred percent of the controls you can theoretically make the best music you've ever heard yourself because it's all playing yeah. to your taste. Anyway, um, so the point, point so, being, we, there was never thought that we weren't we're going to break up or anything like that, but we, we thought that it might take eight years to make a record, <laughs> which it did. Definitely. So was there... Um, was there a break in things we've um we spent a long time talking about or a lot of time talking about um especially with the wandering birds record the falcon um was there was there ever like a let's take a pause on this one because you're doing a lot and the entire sundowner discography comes out in between O'Calcutta and metropole yeah um i think the time was just like it was a weirdly busy time i think we were all just kind of exploring stuff um not really that's my laundry machine going off by the way if uh yeah you're wondering (laughs) what's going on back there um yeah some good old two socks are ready goddamn right they are now go back to jacking (laughs) off um Into my tube socks, not like when I put them on, they make me horny or anything. Um, but <laughs> you know, uh, I think that, I no think kink that, shaming here. If if putting on your own tube socks make you horny, 
that's cool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I back that. Could be worse. It's not like pushing someone down the stairs makes you horny. Which, I mean, if that's what you're into, too, as long as the person wants to be pushed down the stairs, no problem. Um, um, anyway. I think that came from the Dredderick Tatum uh, trial. <laughs> if I could go back to my mother's stair pushing, I would certainly reconsider it. Yeah. Um, um, but... Uh, no, I, I think that we were just like, I, you know, I had small kids. This is when the audit happened. And that, that, like, that made everybody afraid to do anything because we didn't mm-hmm. know. Like, we, like um, we didn't know what we had done that had caused us to get audited. I mean, what we had done was gotten more popular, you know, um, and all of a sudden, uh-huh. like, we were making money. And that that looked weird after filing taxes. It's like we don't make money, and then it's like, oh yeah, we made a ton of money. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I think I think that was. Uh, the, but but at the time we didn't know, and it felt like everybody was like my was mad at me, um, like my wife. Just you know, I, I didn't know if we were allowed to make money. I didn't know if we could like you know what we mm-hmm. what we were allowed to do. You know, um, it, it felt right. like doing. Like it felt like success would hurt us, if, if that makes any sense. Like I, yeah, sure. Like I was afraid of everything. We had to go on a tour just to like create a war chest for like what was going to happen um, if they came back and like needed all this money because like we just didn't know. And the guy that was handling the audit for us, he had never like worked with bands before, so we didn't really know. And it was a first time IRS agent, so. The misinformation was like mm. flying around wildly mm. and i mean like there's i thought i was gonna go to jail or something and i didn't even know why because it was like you know like i'm not uh like embezzling money or anything it's just, I'm like, like i i don't it's just like when the irs comes at you it's just it's scary it's supposed to be scary mm-hmm. that's that's what they do right 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 you know and uh so we went on this tour and i was just like and we just put all the money in the bank and then at the end of the whole thing uh, my attorney comes back and he's like, "Yeah, you owe four four thousand three hundred dollars." And I was like, "We owe four thousand three hundred dollars." I'm like, "This has taken like twenty five years off my life this past two years, uh, mm-hmm. you know." And then all of a sudden, I like call the guys. I'm like, "You're not gonna believe this shit. <laughs> we owe four thousand uh, dollars." I sent the checks in. We're all getting paid from those tours, <laughs> you know. And so wow. then all of a sudden. Like, we all got paid, and I think that really, like, you know, just the whole thing, like, the closure of it all, and it and coming away, and, like, the fact that we all actually ended up with money at the end of it, like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, like, and it wasn't just, like, oh, this is for, you know, Beeks' attorney fees, because he fucked us all over, and now he's in jail, and we're all broke. I mean, like, get, you know, like, who, we... I just didn't know, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and instead it turned out it was like, nope, four grand, and everybody gets paid, and that like that made it able for us to exist as a band that like was functional again for sure. Yeah, does you that know? help alleviate some of the pressures that that come from the like record itself as an artistic? statement because that looms so heavy but then when you're going through this thing where you're 
uh, you could go to jail. It's like, well, who the fuck cares if this record isn't as good as the last one that I did? Like, I'm fucking out. I'm not. I'm not in a jumpsuit right now. I can handle the uh, the, the fact that this might not be as good as El Calcutta for some people. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that the um, the, the, that's probably. Um, I've never thought about it in those terms. Uh, I think the the whole thing was just more like. Um, I think a lot of it was like. I think everybody, myself included, thought I had done something wrong, and it turned mm-hmm. and it turned out I didn't. But that like created like a weird tension, and I mean not just with the guys in my band, like including like my family and like including me. I just didn't. I can't say, stress this enough. I just didn't know what was going on, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and you know what? I very well could be projecting this on everyone. Uh, maybe they didn't all think I did something wrong, but I definitely got the feeling that it was like, I, I fucked up everything and everybody's uh-huh. mad at me. And this is never, ever going to go back to normal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, and then we found out it was the baby, uh, you know, um, that's, and, <laughs> and, uh, it's Troy McClure, by the way. Uh, and, and, then, and, um, and then, like, all of a sudden they snap back into normal, and um, it was like, "Whew, okay, mm-hmm. okay." So I, I didn't do anything wrong. We like, and in fact, I saved us all this. Look, look at this money I have for all of us, you know. And and so it like it it just became a um, it became a thing. It's it's a very unpleasant memory, and um, I you know. Yeah, I guess for what it's worth, I apologize to everyone uh, who had to deal with me at that time. But uh, um, what happened? I, I then we get we then I don't know how much time really passed before we started writing the Metropole album, but it was it was a little bit removed from that. But um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the everybody hates me feeling is something we can all relate to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. The most um, unfun. Yeah. So, I mean, there's um, there's an interesting moment in your band's history that I have been really looking forward to talking to you about. Cause there's a show that happened on April 30th 2011 you were opening for the dead milkman at the congress yes. i believe mm-hmm. and you played greatest story ever told start to finish without announcing it how does that happen it's come it comes at a gap in your touring um was there any like meaning behind that well there was not and there was i guess the the thing is that there's a few a few things at play here. Number one, the Dead Milkman is like one of our favorite bands, right? Mm-hmm. So playing with yeah. them was like holy fucking shit dream come true for us. And then, you know, we walked in and they're like, 
yeah, we know you guys. You know, and we're like, what? <laughs> you, you know who our band is? This is cra- this is fucking crazy. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and it was just a really, I mean, that's like a fucking serious dream come true shit, right? Um, mm-hmm. It was also when like Riot Fest was first popularizing the idea of people like playing entire albums at sets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and then when they started doing that, and I kind of understood it from like the festival perspective, but but then it started becoming a thing that bands would do, and they would like put on their flyers. It's like playing, you know, track mm-hmm. by track of. And I remember, um, back in the day, I saw the Smoking Popes play at the Underground Lounge, which was like under the yeah. Yeah, L tracks yeah. over on the north side. And it was like snowy and shitty and there was not a lot of people there. Cause I think that they their audience was more suburban and that place was yeah. so new that not a lot of people knew where it was or what it was and the weather was shitty. And they just showed up and we're like over it, and they're like, We're playing a new album front to back. And I was like, mm-hmm. What the fuck is this? And I mean Smoking Popes are so cool and so awesome. And I yeah. didn't get that aesthetic choice at the time. Mm-hmm. To just be like, we're just going to play our new album front to back. What else What? What else could you ask from us? The Smoking Pubs. Mm-hmm. You know? like, like mm-hmm. And, and, and mm-hmm. it was, in, in hindsight, it was great. But at the time, I was like, well, this fucking sucks. And I could listen to the album at home. I wouldn't have had to... Right, you know, drink this yeah. like piss warm beer and whatever, and so it all, <laughs> Go ahead. it always like whenever I'd see somebody being like, "We're playing our album front to back," I'm like, "Ooh, cool!" And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like Chris and Neil felt the same way. Like we have like kind of like a hive mind for uh, for bullshit that we don't like. Like I can I can guarantee you that they're like. Uh, you know, like if there's something that I really fucking think sucks, uh, those guys at least absolutely understand why I think it sucks. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. like, and like yeah. can empathize with the thinking it sucks part. But I think when it comes to playing records in, its, in their entirety, we were all like, it's so fucking late. I like, it's like, wait, you're, pra- you're bragging about this? So mm-hmm. we came out, and if you remember, we played like, six songs then we played greatest story ever told and then we played like three songs like mm-hmm. we, we just like put it in the middle didn't announce that we were going to do it did it at the dead milkman show um to just be like anyone can do this it's not a big deal if you can't do this you you shouldn't be a band like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like yeah 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 um it's the uh the show that I regret missing the most because mm. mm, I just wasn't up in the city yet. Uh, I really, really like that feeling that you have about playing full albums. I think that this is like in 2011, the reunions are really starting to get mm-hmm. a lot of steam. Yeah. And I think that it's a very real path that your band could have taken to play 
you know, records on their 10 year anniversary mm-hmm. to just go not through the motions because I don't want to make it sound like people who do do these things are, are doing that, but you didn't necessarily have to push yourselves creatively, but you chose to. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a very kind read on the whole thing. Um, I think that there is like, um, for all of us, I know that we enjoy performing at like a very high level, whatever that means. Um, for those guys, it means being good. For me, it involves being high. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, <clears throat> what I mean is, <clears throat> like, if I'm going to sit down and write a, a record, I'm going to try to make it the best fucking record I can possibly make, you know? And if I'm not going to sit down and write a record, something's wrong with my brain or something has gone right with my brain because, it's like, I can't not sit down and write records, you know? Um, uh-huh. like it, So it's just, like... It gets to the point where it's like, all right, we're writing things. We, there's no stopping this. It's, and it's got to be excellent. You know what I mean? And like, uh huh. And so, um, so we, uh, and, and we talked about it a lot. It was like, and Chris has said this, I think, in interviews, and it might even be in the bio for Metropole. But he was always like, if the songs weren't really great, we just wouldn't fucking put it out. Who cares? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah, like, sure, sure. And, and I mean, he's to- he's dead on with that. It's like, you don't have to come back after eight years and put out a lackluster, shitty record. It was like, mm-hmm. and I think that was the freeing thing for yeah. us. More than, more than any of the other, but... Obviously, it all it all works together, and you know, you make a very interesting point about suddenly like being mentally uh, free of the sort of financial aspect of the whole thing that was so fucked up. But yeah, I think I think there was a lot of freedom that went into this, and I think I think that we felt really liberated to be able to do it, and I think that added to us having a lot of fun together as dudes. And having just generally a lot of fun that you can hear on the record as well. Yeah. I mean, some of the shit on that, like, I'd listen back to it this morning just because that's something that I regret having not done for a few of these where I wanted to, like, point out, like, like, uh, there's, like, on the Broadway's record, I listened to it and there's, like, you can hear, like, the sound checking, like, the mic checking in some of the songs. It's uh-huh. like, ah, ah, you know, it's like that's not supposed to be in there at all. Uh, yeah, you know, and I kind of like, I missed the opportunity for that stuff. But like, listening back to Metropole this morning, I was like, oh, this record is fucking sassy. Is what I would say about this record. Yeah, like it's got it, a lot. It's got a lot of fucking fucking sass in it. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that the conversation that we had about great bands who keep making records and then become less great bands, that has to be on your mind going into this thing. And the way that this presents itself with that sass, with that, like, fuck anybody who thinks that this isn't 
on the level we were at yeah. eight years ago. It's like fucking so it, you own that in such a cool way on this one. Oh, thanks, man. That's that's good to hear because but like I mean, just that fucking like there's you know, we we have like what what we learned, I guess, with O Calcutta, um, is that if you Never deny your influences and lean into them as hard as you can. As long as you go, I'm leaning into this as hard as I can because I love this so much, you know, Mm -hmm. and and like I'm so indebted to these guys for even if it's just like one song or um, or just an attitude that a band had or whatever like that. As long like if you never deny your influences and just like lean into them, you can really get away with a lot of bullshit i guess um but uh, yeah certainly but but um it also like i think that it, we you know i'm thinking right now like off the top of my head uh the reason i the reason i started saying that is because like there's this band called hickey from the bay area dude yeah and fucking hickey yeah we, we loved their attitude i've told the story maybe even i'm better yet did i tell the story i mean it, i don't think so but uh gosh it's kind of a big story but it's it's really good and instructive. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so hickey was like a kind of like a very proto uh like lawrence arms type band right they came before us um they sounded a lot different but there's enough similarities that you'd see what I'm saying if you heard them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and they, and they were like, also they had a lot of fucking sass or whatever. And they were playing a show in, um, Arizona with the Voodoo Glow Skulls and they fucking, uh, were just clowning them on stage the whole time, you know, for being (laughs) like on epitaph because they were really punk and, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and, and all this shit and how they each got one drink ticket and the show was sold out. And, you know, that it was they were like making fun of Rancid on stage for some reason. I don't I, like I don't know. And, you know, yeah. it's fucking and it was a different kind of time as well. This was, a, this was a long time ago. And it kind of there was a sense that punk was being co-opted Um not even from like the underground into the mainstream, but from like the underground that gave a shit about things to this new underground that did not. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying any of that's right or wrong, but that was a schism that was happening in punk rock. that was very, very real. So bands like Hickey would hate bands like the Voodoo Glow Skulls. Vicky was decisively DIY. Yeah. And it's just on principle alone. So mm-hmm. whatever their problems were with everything, they would have just found a different set of problems if they those hadn't been there, right? Mm-hmm. So they're at the bar trying to cash in their one drink ticket, as the legend goes, and Voodoo Glow Skulls is furious, and they're like, we're not playing until these motherfuckers are not in the building anymore, right? So they get wheeled from the venue. But before they go, they steal the Voodoo Glow Skulls trumpet. Uh, <laughs> and then they fucking travel around the world with it with the trumpet or around the United States um 
taking pictures of them like in the desert playing the trumpet. Them, Get like, the fuck out. Top of the Empire State Building playing the trumpet. So Voodoo Glow Skull starts calling them and leaving messages on their home answering machine. Um, and the messages are like, they range from just like pretty stupid to like wildly homophobic. And, uh, um, wow. and, uh, and like, yeah, some of them are really, really kind of gross. And I mean, again, different time. I, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to sure, back sure, sure, the dudes, sure. but I'm also not trying to like totally like assassinate their character. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it was it was a bad mistake, it, 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 and, and Hickey p- picked up on that real quick and, uh-huh. because Hickey <laughs> recorded and compiled all of those answering machine messages with um, and played them over. Um, the sound of them playing this trumpet that they stolen from Voodoo Ghost Calls and couldn't play. <laughs> Put it into a seven inch, called it the Voodoo Glow Skulls Hickey Split Seven Inch. Put the epitaph logo on the back, and the liner notes was the whole story with all the pictures of them with the trumpet all around the country. Put the epitaph logo on the back, and then donated a hundred percent of the proceeds to an AIDS charity to combat the rampant homophobia on the uh, Voodoo Glow side, and also so they couldn't get sued. Uh-huh. And... Amazing. And so that was the record. It said Voodoo Glow Skulls, Hickey, Split 7-Inch. There was a one Hickey song, and then the back was just the fucking answering machine messages from Voodoo Glow Skulls. Um, and... So me at the time, I was just like, you know, like coming up in like the world of punk rock, kind of probably a little more on that like uh, too cool side. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely like coming from like a gay neighborhood and community, very yeah. like much like everything about that. I was like this is the coolest fucking shit I've ever fucking seen. Mm. Uh, I, I, I love, like, it's like being smart, like, but being stupid all at once, you know? Like, it's... I, mm-hmm. Oh, and then they filled up the trumpet with pudding and mailed it back to him. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, uh... Oh, man. But, you know, the thing is... That's a fucking shitty thing to do to steal someone's instrument. That really sucks. Uh-huh. You know? Mm-hmm. But um, that being said, there's this one phone message on um, on the on the Voodoo Glow Skull side of the 7 inch, and it's like, hey, Hickey, what's up? We're in Amsterdam. I'm calling you on Epitaph time on Epitaph money. <laughs> Right, and so, yeah, and so like, that's in in our record where it's like, hey, what's up? It's the Lawrence Arms. We'll call you on Epitaph time on Epitaph money, right? Oh and God. like, yeah, and it was just like total tribute to Hickey, and mm-hmm. and like also because that song was about talking shit um, that it leads into, yeah. and and like also like, hey, motherfuckers, we're back, and you know like, uh-huh. and like you know, yeah, we're we're on Epitaph. We're still on Team Hickey, and we're still on, you know, and it was just like the idea of putting 
that actual phrase on an epitaph record just seems so so cool to me. You totally. Know, like, and it was yeah. like that kind of sass is what I'm getting at. It was just like it was really playful and fun and like a tribute to just like other bands, but like yeah, we're definitely coming back and we're gonna be like, yeah, we're gonna stuff this record up everyone's ass. That'll be great. <laughs> you know. So. Fucking beautiful. That's so dope. That is man, I feel like that is Tony Soprano's ducks. That's that <laughs> story, that attitude guides so much of the magic of you and your band. Oh yeah. It, I I can't say enough I can't say enough about it. And again, I'm aware there's a lot of really problematic shit going on in the entire story. It uh mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. stealing a horn is lame, making clowning a band that's putting you on a show is lame. Um, my band is on Epitaph, so I don't think that's really a problem. Uh, I don't think it's cool to make fun of Epitaph. In fact, I love Epitaph. I, I'm thankful for my masters at Epitaph. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't. It, I don't it will be get, a good. Like, it will be a good story to revisit when we talk about slapstick, though, because yes. there's uh there's something there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so. You talked a lot about the Wandering Birds record making you feel like you could make another Lawrence Arms record. So what about the Wandering Birds factors into the saga of Metropole? Well, a few things. The one thing was that like going that far away from what I was used to doing, kind of known for doing, with to to go back all all the way over there to that Wandering Birds record um, mm-hmm. made me realize didn't make me realize anything I guess that's not exactly right well I, there was an interview with Mike Durnt I want to say um, and it was after Warning um, before American mm-hmm. Idiot and he said like you know after making this record that was such a departure. Now it's a departure to make punk rock. So like what's old is new again. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're coming back with like this blazing record, you know, and that's sort of yeah. how I felt like, like this became the departure, but it was like a departure that I was like, Oh, I know how to do this. You know, like this is, this is my mm-hmm. shit right here being in a, you know, dirty punk rock band. Um, and, um, uh, also, I had like the quiver of uh, tools in my arsenal all of a sudden that I had developed in the Wandering Birds, like really gaining a lot of confidence, like singing in that like sort of like more low register and mm-hmm. just working with a very like sort of different way to make like very like big choruses, just like the, the conceptualization of songs as a whole that I had uh-huh. to like sort of get into, um, you know, so that's, that's what I'd say. Long story short. Yeah. I think it'll short. be fun to talk about the, the singing aspect next week when we are talking about the songs. Did the, did it allow you to become more conceptual about the entirety of the record? Cause Metropole um, is, is I'd say of your concept albums. It's pretty uh it's pretty much the it's certainly the most uh um you know thorough yeah i think yeah i think that the 
you know, it's um, the the way I'd put it is not that like, oh yeah, now I've done this. Now I've, you know, I know I just said like I had all these weapons in my arsenal that I could bring here or whatever. But I meant that in terms of like actual like physical, uh, you know, meat and potatoes like hammering stuff together. Um, mm-hmm. With, I think that it's just like. I stopped even thinking about records in a non-conceptual form at a certain point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so like to make this record, it, there's just no, no doubt in my mind that it has to like tell a story and be like a bigger thing than it's gotta be more than the sum of its parts or whatever. And, um, I think that's really evident in the wandering birds record. And then it's also really evident here, but, no, I wouldn't say that I was like all of a sudden like, ooh, well now I'm free to really truly be conceptual. It was more uh-huh. like, it's more kind of like when I was talking about how like I the songs need to be done in five minutes, or I'm not gonna. It's like once you like have like a big conceptual piece that works and and doesn't have to, uh, you know, you can still listen to each song on its own or whatever. Uh-huh. Why the fuck would you do anything else? Yeah, you know, like it's like I want the album to be a thing too. Uh huh. You know, whether or not anybody cares, you know, I want I want you to be able to listen to the single and just like blast it in your car because it sounds good, you mm-hmm. know. And I want all the songs to be like that. I don't want there to be like, you know, like Operation Mind Crime by Queensrÿche concept album. Really cool <sighs> idea, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's uh, I don't know. It's about nuns and the guy is fucking a nun and there's like some kind of drug going on and like a sort of like proto-fascist movement happening. And, but then there's some songs on there that are just obviously there to like further the narrative, you Mm -hmm. know? And like, they're really good songs. Sound like they barely have anything to do with anything. And it's like, that's dumb. It's still gotta be a record of songs, right? Like an album of songs. That's, that's the most important thing. Um, that's so I guess, where does the, (laughs) Where does the concept fit in to putting the songs together as as a piece? Um, well, it's it's the the concept is like the isolation of uh, urban areas, right? Like the the sort of mm-hmm. the sort of hidden truth that is like being surrounded by people could be the most lonely thing in the world, right? Um, yeah, and and a lot of people listen to this record and I completely understand why and say that it's an album about getting old. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's very much an album about urban isolation. And I can actually do a little magic trick with my brain here and show you how that is. If I am like 25 sitting at a bar, um, I'm like, there to meet my friends or meet people, you know, like somebody walks in, I I bullshit with them, whatever. Uh, No matter what I'm actually doing there. But Mm -hmm. if I go into a bar and sit by myself now, I'm just the old man at the end of the bar. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, it's like, it becomes, you become isolated as you age. I mean, like I, I wouldn't say they're, they're not connected things, but like, you know, it's like that isolation if you t- to talk about it, there's a point where, like, that factors in. Like the you're getting older, 
no, there's no women going to come up to you at a bar or like, mm-hmm. you're not going to get into a conversation with some kid about fucking Tim Tebow or some shit, you know, like it's just not, it's just not going to happen. I mean, like I can't even fucking use a more current reference than Tim fucking Tebow. <laughs> so, uh, so then, you know, what, what do you think like really builds the, the concept itself what informs the the way that you're presenting it are uh, there other records that that give you a a template for how you can explore this without being like you know that like sort of filler concept of like these are only here to serve the purpose of the narrative no i think that the way that this came together was more like the um we had the songs and we started to see that this was something that was really informing all of these fucking songs, right? And mm-hmm. and that it was like almost, there was so much like urbanness. We also all lived in different cities. This was the first time that right. we'd all lived in different cities. So that isolation was like real on yet another level. So we're talking about sort of like various cities and like, there's a bunch of like, con- like as we started to see it come together and we started to like talk about like recording ambient sounds um, of cities in order to make this record feel like a cityscape. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and to, the original concept for the artwork, which David just couldn't do it or didn't think it was a good idea or maybe it just the cover turned out so well that he decided he didn't want to do something that didn't fit on the back. But the original concept for the back was, uh, we wanted it to be like an L train map with each of Mm -hmm. the songs being each of the stops. Right. Because that was like Mm -hmm. sort of the idea of the record was like kind of like an actual trip through a city and sort of a descent into like ugliness. And then the end with like the cascading water and the piano music and stuff Mm -hmm. um after like the the triumphant like sort of last track is um to me i always thought of it this is weird i don't know if i ever even said this out loud before but there's a movie called dark city are you familiar with it no um it's kind of like it's it's a pre-matrix movie um I think the guy that stars in is named Rupert Friend. I don't. Okay. But uh, it's it's a cool. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's in it. It's a cool movie. It's like a proto Matrix. It's like kind of like goth and uh, uh-huh. just, it's about a city where things are weird and things change. And this one guy can kind of like he's got memories that he doesn't understand and. He doesn't remember things mm-hmm. that he should be able to remember. Sure. And he starts to figure out that it's like all a big experiment and it's like a huge mind control situation. And it's a really, really great movie, by the way. Um, and, yeah. And it's beautiful. Jennifer Connelly's in it as well. Yeah, um, William Hurt, Kiefer Sutherland. It sounds like a very, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, the movies like uh, Memento come to mind where it's the the like sort of mind fucked world but this one sounds like it's also very visual mind mm-hmm. fucked yeah too. yeah it's 
I think it's older than that, though, too, isn't it? It's 98, so... Okay. Yeah, okay. we're getting um, into that, like, stretch. Yeah, totally. Um, but at the end, he he's, like, he just remembers this beach that he, like, called Shell Beach, and... Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to get there. He's like, I've got to get to Shell Beach. I feel like that's like the answer to all of this. And like he, the way it ends, I don't want to like totally give it away, but it's like he's trying to find Shell Beach, and he's going through this like intense labyrinth of everything. And uh-huh. um, I always felt like that kind of end of the record was like him like finding Shell Beach, whereas like us finding our Shell Beach and like yeah. having that like cascading water and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's definitely part of it. But that, I mean, talk about a uh, record that's about, or something that's about, like, urban loneliness. I mean, Dark City is fucking Mm -hmm. urban loneliness, like, times a thousand. We had a fun exchange last week about N.W.A. and Kendrick, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't presenting Kendrick only to argue, you know, the point, but... I remember the Reddit AMA where you said Good Kid Mad City had a lot of inspiring points for Metropole. Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, It was, it's got such a cool narrative to it that like, and we were really listening to Kendrick a lot Uh at the time. Um, And I think we were just like, the example of how like that, the way that that, record pushes through we're like bitch don't kill my vibe is a, just a song it's just a song that is good mm-hmm. but if in the context of the record with like the samples and everything you're like oh this is him sitting at his house before he goes out you know what i mean right like it's t-shirt sudden, time yeah backshirt freestyle but uh, backseat freestyle is just a song but all of a sudden within the context of the record they're driving somewhere mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. and they're like having a freestyle. I mean, then you get to something like art of peer pressure and that's obviously a lot more narrative um, right. of a song and, and cinematic. But this was like, when we did this, it was like that kind of concept of like the vibe can dictate what the, what the storytelling mm-hmm. is. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, like we don't need to, uh, we don't need to like spell things out like that, like in the Queen's Reich song, you know. Right. Like it's it's we we'll just like let the songs have their place, and then we'll see what this trip through this fucking weird city is, uh-huh. you know. And very much like that Kendrick record. I mean, not as like artfully done, but you know, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, that was a huge influence. Well, I think the cool thing about that record, Good Kid, Mad City, is that not only is it this really cool narrative, a lot of wonderful storytelling in there, but you're hearing rap music from somebody who is talking so much about his own self-consciousness. His uh, anxiety is such a prominent part of that record. You're learning so much about this person, and usually rap music is, is a little bit more closed off on the emotional level and i think that metropole has this really really beautiful sense of self-awareness that 
you're putting into it where people do talk about it being like a record about aging, but I think you're also just a little bit more upfront with your own self-awareness. Yeah, well, you know, I've I've never thought about this before, Tim, but it is a record that came out in a completely different world than um, Oak Alcotta did. Like, this is this record has a song called Drunk Tweets on it. There was no such thing as social media when right. uh, Oak Alcotta came out. I mean, I guess there was, but, you know, it, it didn't have, it didn't have, like, the role it has now in uh-huh. destroying the world or whatever. But, so... There's a certain level of like postmodernism, which is just a, I guess a real like fart sniffy way to say self awareness. Uh, sure. That just exists inherently in living in the world of social media, where like you, you know what your panty lines look like now because like fucking somebody's somebody's gonna take a picture and put it on the internet. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you have to be. You have to like know yourself in 360 degrees um, because the world is going to know, you know, like, like when uh, it used to be, you could just like take a picture of yourself and like do whatever with it, mm-hmm. send it to someone or send it, you know, put it in a, on a bulletin board or whatever. And now it's like, you take a picture just to be like, Hey, got this new shirt. And people like zoom in and they're like, what's that bullshit in the corner? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, shit like that. Like, uh, you know, you get you get zoomed, yeah, and uh, and that's that's fucked up. So, I think that there's a level of self awareness that probably exists on this record that just exists merely, purely because the world changed, and it if uh, I'm not trying to live in the past, man, and I I don't mean that to sound mm-hmm. like as like jack off and throw away as it as it is. It's like you know when there's a song on here called drunk tweets. Right. And, uh, we can get into that when we talk about all the songs, mm-hmm. but, um, first of all, I think it might be the smartest song of mine on the record by far. Um, even though everybody thinks it's the stupidest. Um, and second of all, it, it, it's exactly what you're talking about in that regard for uh-huh. one thing. And also people are like, you've got a song called that sa- says tweets in it. That's so lame. You know, what about the thing where you're not supposed to put, you know, there's no timelessness to it in in that regard. Uh Uh And it's like... Those same motherfuckers still have, like, still like songs that are uh, about calling people on the telephone, you know? Well, it's also like, it's also like, you couldn't be more fucking wrong, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when, in a hundred years... Everything's going to be the same in terms of like love and hate and jealousy and like, you know, the man versus society and all that kind of shit. The only thing that's going to be interesting in our art is the part that's about now. Mm-hmm. You know what I right. mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's like that's what <laughs> that, it's it's how do, does the eternal battle of being a human being play out mm-hmm. now you yeah know? it's like saying like like oh i love ulysses but i wish you wouldn't stop talking about ireland so much yeah or, or like any number of things like that which yeah. like where it's like um okay first of all 
nothing good is like timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you, there's no. I mean, I guess you could say something like Catcher in the Rye, but he's still like putting nickels down on the bar when he's buying soda pops and shit. Right. You know, I mean, and, and that's and those are the fucking vivid details you remember. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like he- people that say that you should avoid. Uh, First of all, Kurt Vonnegut, who uh, I've already talked about before, mm-hmm. young young grown-up author who mm-hmm. gets a lot of shit for people by daring to just be so readable and good, even right. though he is the best and the, the smartest. Um, he talks about this a lot. Like, It's like, people tell me to keep technology out of my stories. I'm like... Why the fuck would I do that? I'm not. I, who mm-hmm. am I trying to impress? You, you know, your ideas yeah, are yeah, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, and I, I just, I, I've, I took that really to heart, and actually titled that song what it mm-hmm. is titled in an act of defiance and tribute to Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. right? You know, right? Um, so yeah. I love that. I, there's, um, there's a really good uh, David Foster Wallace essay where he gets into that topic and, um, you know, being told by a professor, like, don't date your stuff. And it's like, well, you got an automobile in your book. What do you, what do you say to that? Yeah. So I would love to read that because I love David Foster Wallace and I love his essays that are not, like, too fucking dense for me to understand. Um, the the fun ones into, are so fun. When he gets into like fucking parsing um, theoretical mathematics, and I'm like, I'm here for this. And then I'm like, now this is too much for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I can't do it. Like, it, you know, I took theoretical math classes. I, I And I love David Foster Wallace, but the, the combination of his like sort of hyper abstruse um intellectuality when put into like a specifically intellectual arena mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like yeah i i mean i i fancy myself to not be the dumbest guy in the room but uh no no i i can't i can't hang with that shit patreon.com slash better sandwich at one point we will dive very very good into all the all of the uh, DFW hits will do the greatest hits for David Foster Wallace essays. That's a great idea. Um, it's fun. I know it's a great idea because we got we got we got this thing going on, this thing of ours. But I I love that you brought up drunk tweets because I think that there is a there is a Brendan Kelly persona that develops after O Calcutta. Where, and I'm only saying this because I think it's a point worth making. It's not something that I agree with. But when you get into looking at, all right, Lawrence Arms are making a record eight years after the fact, we hope that they're self aware enough to make it good. But also, the development, I think, of your presence on the internet is, is something that we can kind of. <laughs> Sorry, my kids just stormed down here like a bunch of. <laughs> raging <laughs> buffalo and, and then they were just standing right there like yelling at each other like I'm not sitting here and I'm like get the fuck out but anyway it's um I'm sorry it's can quite alright I can love you just, that 
Continue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's a there's a chance that some of us are going in this record maybe a little bit worried about your own ability to like be self-aware because you're also like Brendan Kelly on the internet. Do you know what right. I'm saying? Sure, but like uh I think I mean hmm, I don't know I don't know how to uh I think those things I think those things go very much together. Mm-hmm. You know? I think I think it is like the advent of like being on the internet. I mean, like I would say if I was going to try to analyze how the this would come in and be like, oh, that guy used to be a punk rocker and now he just tells dumb jokes on the internet all the time. And he's probably like lost a step or two because he thinks he's doing this other thing now. Mm-hmm. Right? But what I think is the um, the sort of like self-awareness that is present and lacking on the internet if you pay any sort of attention to like the way that people behave. Because I guess, you know, when I'm like, Oh yeah, it's a self-aware world now, but it's also a remarkably unself-aware world now. Right. You know, where people are just so fucking uh clueless and and really don't give a shit or like to troll or whatever. But for me, it was just uh all I, all I'm doing is looking at people and one of one of those people is me. But on the internet, I feel like I can see a lot of, as most people can, like a lot of patterns and like what's, what's like, what are the things that are like maddening to people? What are the things that are like, you bring people together? What are the things that um, are, are frustrating, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like, how do people that are not like me think and live? And how do I live and appear to people that are not like me? Am I frustrating? Am I uh, gross, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that, and that's something sort of beyond the idea of, uh, like, I don't like this guy's jokes, you know, it's right. more like, it's more like having a humanistic awareness. Right. So, um, I think that, um, I think that any success that I might've had on this record with like being really self-aware, um, would, I would say was bolstered by the internet, not um, in spite of it, I Mm -hmm. guess. Do you feel like you leaned into the, you know, you talk so much about mortality on this record and aging, and I think aging is scarier than dying. And did did you feel yourself leaning into, like, let me, like, let me drop some of the, um, you know, some of the things that like people put out to pretend that they're not growing old. Um, yeah, I mean, that's always been a thing of mine, um, is like, you can't fake the funk, man. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, at a certain, like, there's nothing wrong with being old, but there's everything wrong with being old and like acting like you're 15 or whatever, you know, like, uh, um, I believe that I said last week about the, the jumping on stage, mm-hmm. right. Was I talking, I was yeah. talking to you about that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, I think it's like the comb over of rock and roll. And again, um, to re- reiterate, 
There's a reason people do that because it looks fucking cool. And, you know, there's a reason that everybody goes crazy when they do do it. And I don't really care about that stuff anymore. I used to. But I still have, like, um, for myself, I don't want to do anything like that. Like, I Uh just want to be the older dad that I am, (laughs) you know? Yeah. and And I think that there's, like, much like with technology, there's, like, I just wanted to present that authentically. Like, my take on the the only thing interesting in my songs is is me, right? I mean, like, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in terms of, like, yes, I work, I, and I mean a collective me, Chris and Neil being part of the me that I'm talking about here. You're, you're the narrator. Yeah, no, no, but, 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 like, but, but my point is, like, um, Okay, Gordon Gano, who's uh, the singer of the Violent Femmes, right? Mm-hmm. You can just tell that all he wants to do is like be Chuck Berry, yeah. right? Like he's just like doing simple rock and roll songs, but he's just so fucked up that like that he tries to do them normally, and it's like. Did you do too many drugs? I did too many drugs. And it's like, that's what makes that awesome. Like, if you mm-hmm. just, like, nailed it perfectly, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. There's no personality in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, and, so that's what I mean. The, the only thing good in our songs, as the Lawrence Arms, is us that do it. Any of those, <laughs> like, imperfections, those are the, those are the things that make it relatable or interesting or you know like if if i'm singing about like my neighborhood i've got to sing about my specific neighborhood and my experience with it right or Mm -hmm. or or whatever the fuck is going on so it's like to hide yourself or obscure um the basics of who you really are like i'm not saying you have to like go out there and like show your entire like asshole on your record or whatever or like do something like the I know that one fucking say anything is a real boy record is like incredibly like self-examination like mm-hmm. to to the point where it's mm-hmm. like turns back in on itself like several times or whatever I'm not saying that but just like to have the basics of who you are like I'm a dude I'm old I got you know got some kids people some people don't like me anymore oh there you go <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's just like that's 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 the only way to create as far as i'm concerned you got to be you it is a little scary though right there are uh i think that there are more uh more attempts that fail about writing about aging than there are ones that that pass yeah well i mean there's more attempts that fail of every single aspect of every art ever. Sure. And <laughs> that sure. Are good. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the specifics but, uh, here are like, all right, uh, punk band gets gray and writes songs about it. That's, uh, that doesn't have a very good rate of success. How's that? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, do people write songs about that? Like the, the punk bands write songs about getting old. I, I thought that, I didn't think that was really a thing. I can't. I can't think of it. It's like there's like a. I remember like the a, um, when the Hold Steady uh, put out "Stay Positive." That's a record that's a lot about getting older, and 
there were a lot of interviews with Craig where he was saying, yeah, it's not exactly like the easiest thing to write about, to write you know, about getting old as a, as a rocker. I think that like, okay. Um, I think the one thing that, uh, the hold steady is a band that can be old. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the the fucking the aesthetic around the whole hold steady, and I'm not talking about like the dude's physical appearances. I'm talking about like just the kind of band they are. Um, mm-hmm. They like they, Led like, Zeppelin already, and Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, they were like already an old man's band. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were young, when I mean, they were never really that young. Um, when they were the hold steady, mm-hmm. but like lift lifter puller even sounded like a very forward proggy man band Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. we're like i would expect to go to the show and it would be like plenty of people over 40 there sure you know um and uh and i think the the big oh calcutta is not a old man record but it is not like a youth record either it's like the you know like i think something like you know, it's weird because like seven seconds, they they fucking sounded like such a kid's band. Still sounded like a kid's band, like when they were old. I mean, they would sing like Young Until I Die and like Youth Crew songs. And mm-hmm. they could be in their 50s and do that. And it was like, yeah, there's seven seconds, right? Mm-hmm. But there's some bands that like, um, it's just weird to think of them being old. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think, and I think that that's that's something that they're aware of, and so try to like downplay, like, uh, um, I don't know, like, and like kind of like a lot of those like cute emo bands, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just weird to imagine that shit coming out of a man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the whole study was able to do that, and I think that us doing this is sort of like built on the sort of self-awareness of like oh calcutta and um butt sweat and tears and the fact that we were able to if you just stay true to yourself and your thing you're never the wrong age to do it you know <laughs> you know what i mean because yeah. it's, it's it's coming out of you and this specific person i feel like where people get caught up is if it's like Hey, yeah, we're yellow card. This guy's still doing backflips, you know. And uh, <laughs> and I bring that up just because backflipping fiddle player is funny. Uh-huh. Now that I'm trying to single out yellow card, those guys are very talented. Um, but like, um, yeah, you know what I mean. It's, I do. I do. You can only. You can only, At a certain point, you got to be like, man. I'm fucking old. Mm -hmm. Here it is. Mm -hmm. I think what ages really gracefully on this is that the sound is a lot bigger. This is this reminds me of like the best of the like the process of belief by Bad Religion is one of my favorite Bad Religion records because I think the songs are very good and I also love that the sonics are so large. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This one is um. This was our first record that we recorded, I think, uh, with Pro Tools. Uh huh. Um, because before that, we had used ADAT and uh, we used two inch tape on Okokata, 
But so, I believe, yeah, I believe this is the first Lawrence Arms record recorded on Pro Tools. Um, wow. And yeah, the difference is really is really stunning. It's like once um, digital quality kind of surpassed analog, there started to become no reason in terms of audio to to do it any other way. Um, and I, I don't know if people get mad about that as like purists or whatever, but... If you fucking look at the yeah wave waveforms and stuff, it's like yeah, it's just like this is a much easier way to get a much more um, refined sound, you know. And um, and yeah, I think I think you know as usual, Matt Allison knocked the shit out of the park um, with the help of Neil and I believe Yates and Tinkler helped a lot on this one too. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Did you want it to sound bigger? Did you want it to sound like you're adding more to it? I feel like the vocals help a lot to really just expand the the breadth of what you're expressing. Was the idea of making a, a larger sounding record appealing to you? Because when I hear that, I think about like, oh, this is like more of a grown-up thing. No, well, you know, I think that a lot of it had to do with Chris McCoggin learning and subsequently kind of teaching us how to not play. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, when you, like, if you listen to that record, there's, he's like doing like one little riff and then it's just out and it's just bass and drums. Yeah. And it, all of a sudden, like, if you're walking along on a bridge, you're just walking on the ground, essentially. But if the, you walk over a, police, a piece of plexiglass that shows you all the way down, all of a sudden, the entire structure you're on is huge. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, when the guitar cuts out and you can really hear the bass and drums there and the room, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this becomes a bigger thing. And it's... A little bit counterintuitive because I think a lot of people are like, you know, you just like keep adding guitars, keep adding guitars. And it's like, that's not how it actually works. Mm-hmm. That makes everything like sound like pressed together and muddied. And like for us, for this, I mean, a lot of it's Chris's like sort of revelation. He's like, I don't think I need to play all the time, you know? And, yeah. and I was like, yeah, dude, that's fucking awesome. Let's go. Let's go for that and see how that. You know, run that fucker up the flagpole and see see what sticks. Or Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I love that. There's some shining fucking examples that uh, I'm excited to dive into next week. Um, you know, this being your first Epitaph release, tell me how that came together, how uh, it influenced, I guess, your your mindset going into it. Well... We were really excited that we were like talking to um, Epitaph. Brett called me one day was, and had heard that we were working on some stuff. Um, I think I think it had been like sort of like seeded information, you know. I think uh, mm-hmm. maybe Toby was like to his like buddies at Epitaph, like, hey, you know, the Lawrence Arms are doing a new record, you right. know, something like that. Where like it, it didn't exactly like. I don't think the word trickled down the grapevine, like just like, oh, have you heard? You know, like, like just like, like it would in like some sort of fucking movie or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was more like 
all of a sudden we were talking to them and then um it was really unfortunate because uh mike fat mike and i were very very close friends and uh this opportunity came up and like my thought was basically like i could die and i could say i've been on fat records which is amazing or i could say i've been a fat and epitaph and like and Michael understand. I mean, his band's on Epitaph. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh didn't quite work that way. Um, huh. And, 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 like, Mike was super gracious and cool. And, you know, we went back and did our greatest hits record on Fat after mm-hmm. this record. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I still text with Mike here and there and stuff like that. But... His whole thing at the time was kind of like, no one's ever gone straight from Fat to Epitaph. It's just, it'll look bad. People know we're homies. So it would, mm-hmm. it would be just a real bummer to me. And like, yeah. what what do I got to do to keep you here? Uh-huh. You know? And, and unfortunately, the answer was like, dude, the, we're, the experience is what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Of being on a, on a different label, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's and it, it it's. I mean, I love Fat Records. I love Fat Mike. He's a hero of mine. I mean, fucking the like snotty, raspy bass playing, smart smart ass vocalist. Yeah. in a <laughs> in a punk band, you know, it's like ding ding ding. Thing is uh-huh. my whole thing is like so indebted to him, and but. It, it it did like sort of like probably affect our relationship negatively or definitely did and it's a yeah. bummer to me it's it's one of like the worst thing I like I really like Mike I really like Mike a lot I wish that mm-hmm. he and I were still closer buds um, but uh, that being said if I see him somewhere like yeah of we're gonna be we're gonna be hanging out with each other and not like avoiding each other you know like for sure uh-huh it's but. i guess that's uh that's a tough one to sit with though because it's not just that his band is on epitaph it's like he knows the the game he knows what it's about and it's certainly not a personal thing yeah, but I think that it was a personal thing for him um, a little bit, mm-hmm. just based on how like much we were the homies, you know. And yeah, uh, sure. And and so I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't go back and change it. I'm just very. I I just don't love that. That's the result of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and uh and so that's sort of how that all went down so i think it would be cool to close things out here for metropole part one by talking about the artwork that david holtz did for this it's got the cover has such a 50s movie poster feel to it man with the golden arm hitchcockian Mm -hmm. you know on the cover and in the liner notes too that puts i i think it's definitely your most like overarching artwork it really really paints a picture of like what the record is how did that um 
how did that cover come together? What did you what did you explain to David about what you wanted? We talked a lot about how the whole thing was going to be very um, sort of cinematic and uh, and very you know and we, he was like there on board for kind of the whole thing where it was like um, the. Uh, we're going to be doing these sounds in between everything. And it's going to be like this journey through a city. And, you know, I think that some of the main references were actually not movie posters, but old like pulp novel covers Mm -hmm. um, for that stuff. But there's a scene in Vertigo that me and Chris both wrote lines about on this record without ever having discussed it. We were, and it was like, Mm -hmm is this line about vertigo? Because this line's about vertigo. And it was like, oh, I mean, that's how, like, I talk about that band telepathy shit, you know? Where it's like, we're writing, we're writing this record, and, um, like, we're so on the same page that we're literally making the same references. Wow. uh, Without ever talking to each other before, you know? And so, like, that's, you know, you see, it's, uh, you know, it's, the references to the big, the big tree saw it in half. The redwood tree. The redwoods, yeah, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's like I was born and I died. You know, here I was born and here I died. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, like on the drunk tweet song, it talks about there's no unraveling the rings of the tree. It's a reference to that exact same wow scene. Yeah, it's the same scene in the same like fucking old Hitchcock movie. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. You know, so and then inside the liner notes, there's the huge fucking cross section of the tree, for example. Mm. You know, so like we had David on board from the very beginning to like sort of like have the vibe of this record. I think just I think he was excited to do it because like he'd been doing, you know, the Sundowner records and the Falcon records and the Wandering Birds records. And then all of a sudden it's like. Hey, we're we're starting the big machine up again, you know, and so like yeah. we were excited to have like a cool record, and David was excited to do like a great job. But the begin the the cover, I mean, obviously it was about just isolation. I mean, we talked we talked a lot about like how it's about somebody walking through a city alone, uh-huh. basically. And um, I couldn't be more stoked with how this fucking looks. It's, it's like amazing. Yeah. It's really cool. That Vertigo story is pretty pretty unreal. Um, and I love that... Uh, I think Saul Bass did the Vertigo cover as well, which is what... it's. That's the guy who did the other posters that I mentioned. Um, hmm. That cohesion is beautiful. And fucking Vertigo, that's a... That's a movie about being alone in a city <laughs> yeah Jesus. right i mean yeah it all kind of it all kind of comes together so when did that discovery Whether we wanted to or not huh? when did that discovery come up the uh the fact that you both wrote songs about vertigo oh uh, well it was definitely during when we were uh exchanging the demos and you know like chris and i talk a lot about the songs not like really so much we almost never fuck with like each other's like structures and shit like that, but mm-hmm. we will sit there and kind of like um, 
I'll put it this way. I know I have a good song if Chris starts talking to me about the words or like mm-hmm. a part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it's just like, oh, this part right here, that's dope. You know, and so we get into those kinds of little conversations, but they're just really like more gym locker room, good game out there kind of conversations, you know, than, yeah. than they are like... Oh, locker room talk, yeah. D- deep, detailed stuff. Yeah, it's just uh-huh. it's about our... We talk about our <laughs> pussies. Um, <laughs> the specific ones that we have on our bodies, not like... I'm not trying to de-anthropomorphize <laughs> fucking human beings or anything like that, you know? Uh, but, uh... So it just it just came up in the midst of that. I think if I well, it's really like that's the first line and the last line of that song. Mm-hmm. It's also the first line and the last line of the record, mm-hmm. which is like the circular ring of the tree being used in like yet another thing, and um, and then it's also in the middle of this like drunk tweets and I think I think I must have I think I must have asked him just because his line stands out so much being that it is this like opening and closing thing on the on the whole album and mm-hmm. um you know once we started getting into this concept and I was like it's so cool that it's the first and the last line of the song and of the record like that's yeah. yeah. And then when we started, well, we can talk about that shit another time, but when we started like throwing in like the Babe Ruth fucking speeches and stuff like that, that's mm-hmm. again at the beginning and at the very end. Yeah. You know, um so there's a there's a big there's a big circle of life situation going on on this record too. Um which I think it's the isolation of big city, man. It's like when you're really young, when you're really old, mm-hmm. right? You know? Mm-hmm. You, you, so. I know that we usually end these with you telling us what we're going to talk about next week, but we know what we're talking about next week. So now we just got a lovely, lovely little cliffhanger as we put things on pause for next week when we talk about Metropole track by track we thank you all for joining us this week on Road to the Skeleton Coast the name of our podcast finally makes sense to you all Skeleton Coast the new Lawrence Arms record coming to you on July 17th you can pre-order the record by going to epitaph.com or by clicking on the link in the episode notes to this very podcast where you can also find a link to the music video for PTA we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. We've got a new episode of Liner Notes up there right now, along with old interviews I did with Brendan and Chris for Better Yet and more on the way. Rate and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice. Email us, brendankellypodcast at gmail.com, and join us next week for Metropole Part 2. All right. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, Bubba. Thanks, everybody.
Yeah!